Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome, great to have you with us on the show today. Sponsored by Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Almost Wharf Online at SunburyMotors.com. We know SMC stands for Sunbury Motor Company, selling more cars and satisfying more customers. With that comes the need for many great behind-the-scenes employees. While they have many awesome technicians ready to serve you, actually need more due to the busy business that a 107-year-old dealership has earned. They are looking for entry-level and experienced technicians to work in their quick lane, car-like truck service, heavy truck service, body, frame, and alignment, and towing departments. Whether you're an experienced technician an entry-level technician looking for your first job, or someone looking for a career change, they would love to hear from you. Stop by or in person. Apply online at sunburymotors.com or call Todd at 286-7746. That's 286-7746. Well, Phillies fans, I know we talked about this yesterday when we were going through the trades It's not only that the Phillies acquired a legit center fielder in Marsh. It's not only that they got Noah Syndergaard. But at the same time, they have a schedule that sets up beautifully, including 11 matchups with the Nationals. And the Phillies may have an exciting finish to the season because eventually they get Bryce Harper back. And when I've been talking about the Padres, I've been talking about them not only having Soto and Bell and Machado, but they're going to get Tatis back. Well, same for the Phillies. They're going to get Harper back. And now they've got legit rotation guys. They're going to get Segura back. I think Segura's back today, as a matter of fact, after spending a couple of games at Lehigh Valley, but they're going to get him back today, and that's great. And this really sets up as a potentially great finish for the Phillies. Again, you've got the extra wild card, but I'm also not going to rule out catching the Mets. I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, my only concern, as I mentioned yesterday about Syndergaard, is that when you come back from Tommy John, you wear down a little bit, but so far I'll say this: his innings management with the Angels is actually pretty good. It's actually pretty good. All right, we're going to talk college football. Phil Steele is going to join us to talk about college football next on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome back. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. And joining us now, one of the best in the business. People ask me, what magazines do you get to uh, get ready for the season? There's only one, and that's Phil Steele. Phil, great to have you back with us. Hey, always a pleasure talking to you, Steve. 
All right, Phil. So we will start with the with the home team uh, coming off. Uh, we know what happened last year with that team. What is your viewpoint? And you probably have had a chance to talk with James during the course of the offseason. What's your viewpoint of what the Nittany Lions can be? Well, I think that uh, they could potentially get up there if the breaks go their way and be a contender in the East, along with Ohio State and Michigan. They're, to me, the third best team coming in. Uh, the question marks you have, losing five NFL draft picks on, off the defensive side of the ball, yep. losing their outstanding punter from last year. And will Sean Clifford uh, regain his early season form that he had last season? But uh, I think Penn State's got the potential this year to to make some noise in the East. And I do think after a couple of, let's face it, down seasons the last two years, going a a combined uh, 11 and 11, I think we're going to see Penn State uh, get back up to that nine, potentially nine win level, maybe even 10. Of the units that Penn State has, you rank units. Nationally, you rank units uh, within the conference itself. What's the highest ranked unit you have for Penn State and why? Uh, it's a defensive backs, and while they do lose a couple of draft picks uh, out of the secondary, you look at how Penn State has fared defensive back-wise. They're always solid. They were number nine in my past defense ratings last year. You know, they only gave up 11 touchdowns and had 14 interceptions. Generally, teams have a negative ratio as far as defensive backs go, or DBs go, but they had a positive ratio for DBs last year in 11-14. Uh, they also have six foot two cornerback Joey Porter, who I think is NFL caliber, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, and pretty good depth. I think Coach Franklin has done a good job building the depth. So I rate the uh, secondary my number four unit in the entire country. Ohio State uh, will lose guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and a few others, but they are fortunate because the NFL rules say that you have to stay for three stay for three years. So C.J. Stroud is back. Henderson's going into his second year. Jackson Smith and Jigba. <laughs> so how do you look mm-hmm. at the How do you look at the Buckeyes? Yeah, three Heisman candidates right there. How mm-hmm. many teams have three Heisman candidates coming into the season? And the answer would be no other team. And then you look at the offensive line. I think getting Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones yeah. out there at the tackle spots, those are a couple of big offensive tackles that I think are going to thrive this year. The offensive line was up and down, but, you know, I'll tell you what, Steve, being on the Joe Moore Award Committee, they didn't really meet any offensive lines that uh, really throw them last year. All offensive lines were up and down last year. Maybe it had something to do with the shortened seasons of COVID the year before. Uh, this year they've got my number three rated offensive line, number two set of receivers, yep. number two set of running backs, and number one quarterback in the country, quarterback unit in the country because they've got depth with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown back there. Uh, it's the most explosive offense in the country. My computer's calling for uh, 45.4 points per game, which would be right on par with what they had last year. Yeah, and by, and by the way, when I'm talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba, you got to throw in the name of Marvin Harrison because he put together a spectacular – at the end of the season, he became really good, and he had, what, three touchdown catches in the Rose Bowl. I rewatched that game the other night. I'm like, um, I'll admit, after I, after I did the Outback Bowl, I was sitting in a, in a, in a bar watching, <laughs> watching the game. I got a better <laughs> viewpoint this time sitting at home watching it. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, and it, you know, it's not just those two guys. They also have Julian Fleming, who yeah. was my number one receiver out of high school. If he ever lives up to his potential, yeah. uh, look out. They've got Jaden Ballard, the, the redshirt freshman, yep. uh, who was my number six rated receiver. Uh, Amika Ibuka, who was my number one rated receiver. So they've got actually on their roster two guys who were my number one receiver out of high school when they came out. It's 
some remarkable recruiting uh, as they do at the receiver position. Michigan's interesting because they lost a lot on with the defensive front between Ajabo and Hutchinson. Uh, how do you look at Michigan, and then how do you look at the, the situation with McNamara and McCarthy? Yeah, I think they're going to do it the same way they did last year, let McNamara start the game, bring McCarthy in. Uh, if McCarthy all of a sudden starts moving the football better, I mean, let's face it, he's bigger, he's stronger, he, he's faster, he's got all those uh, things better than Cade McNamara, but McNamara's a winner. Uh, I think make a, a pretty good combination. And uh, and I think the fact that neither of them is uh, pushing to transfer elsewhere if they don't win the job yeah. uh, is a good thing. But defensively, I think when you look at Michigan, I mean, you talked about Hutchinson and Ajabo. They also lose Hinton, Ross, yeah. Hill, Hawkins, Gray. They lose a lot of players off the defense. However, last year's defense gave up 17 points per game, 331 yards per game. This year, my computer's calling for them to drop all the way to 22 points per game, which is still pretty good. Still a top 25 defense, 342 yards per game, and the offense is going to be better. They've got two units that are go underrated. I think when everybody looks at teams, generally breaks them down, they, they look at what? The quarterback, running back, and receivers. Well, yeah. Michigan actually has my number one rated offensive line yep. and number one rated special teams. And those are two units nobody looks at, which makes them under the mm-hmm. radar heading into the year. And then, Steve, you got to love their schedule. You know, but prior to playing Ohio State, they have three road games. They play Indiana, Rutgers, and Iowa on the road this year. The Iowa game being the tricky one, it wouldn't surprise me if Michigan ends up being 11-0 and when they uh, travel to face Ohio State. But with that said, mm-hmm. in Vegas right now, Michigan's a two-touchdown underdog in that game. It's the first time in four years they will play that game in Columbus. A lot of people, yeah. I mean, people forget 2020, the last game they played was the game Jack and I did uh, at Michigan. Michigan didn't play after that. They never went to Columbus. So that's that's yeah. the interesting, That that's a, that's a wrinkle that'll, that will eventually come up. Michigan State led the world in how they had transfers play for them last year. Uh, as you know, like you, I'm always prepping. Uh, so when I was doing my Michigan State prep, I noticed that, you know, and some of these guys were walk-ons that were going to go, you know, weren't, weren't going to play. But this time they lose 24 transfers, but they gain nine. What does the balance sheet look like for, for Michigan State when it's all said and done? Well, you know, interestingly, Steve, uh, today on philsteel.com I have a, a blog up, and it's the YPG, Conference YPG versus Wins blog. And this has been pretty accurate. And the Big Ten actually has two huge front runners this year in that article. One of them is Michigan State. And the reason they're up there, or I should say down there, they're leading the going down box, is last year Michigan State in conference play was minus 63 yards per game. Now that's indicative of a team that goes three and six, maybe two and seven, right. and yet somehow this team was seven and two in the Big Ten. So I think there was a lot of smoke and mirrors involved in that. Uh, you go back and look at a couple of their games. You know they had a big punt return in the second half when they weren't moving the ball at all to win one game, and they had the big comeback miracle win against Michigan. I thought Indiana outplayed them. Heck, you remember uh, Penn State? I thought has shot at them. So this is a Michigan State team that I thought caught a lot of breaks last year. You hit it right on the head. Maybe they didn't fare as well in the transfer portal. I don't think they're going to be a bad team this year, no. But I don't see them getting back to 11 or 10 wins this year. I've got them uh, winning uh, probably seven or eight 
uh, tops. I've them coming in fourth in the East. I think just a lot of things yeah. went their way last year. And I agree. And it, you know, and when Penn State played them, instead of being a beautiful day, it was a driving snowstorm. Uh, <laughs> all right. I want to ask you about an individual player. The world will concentrate on quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud. They'll talk about Bryce Young, and justifiably so. I mean, no question. What's your thought on Will Anderson? Uh, I think he was. Uh, he's going to be a Heisman front runner this yeah. year. Uh, I know. I know for the. Uh, I'm a Heisman voter. And uh, I had him on my ballot last year. I didn't have him winning the Heisman, but had him on the ballot. And I think a lot of Heisman voters are thinking, hey, maybe I should have put him on the list. So I think he's going to have a lot of stuff in his favor. You know, when you look at Bryce Young, you're talking about a guy trying to repeat as the Heisman Trophy winner. And really for him to repeat, he's going to have to top last year's 4,872 yards, 47-7 ratio, or else people are going to say he didn't have as good a year. (laughs) I think Will Anderson is a guy that has a great chance of winning the Heisman Trophy this year. To me, the best defensive player in college football. Yeah. All right, so uh, by the way, your final four is? Going way out on a limb here. I know. (laughs) Uh, I'm going with uh, number one, Alabama, number two, Ohio State, Mm -hmm. number three, Georgia, and number four, Clemson. So taking a lot of chances. But I'll say this, Stephen, and I found this interesting in the coaches' conversations last year. And I talked to 120 of the 131 head coaches this year. But last year, talking to the coaches, I would say 90% of them told me, Phil, this is the deepest team we have ever had. We were never able to go three deep in the spring, and we were able to do that this year. So everybody had a lot of returning talent, a lot of starters back, and a lot of experience. In fact, I had to readjust my experience chart in the front of the magazine because everybody had 17-plus returning starters. The only ones that didn't were the big boys. You know, and Ohio State wasn't in the Big Ten title game. Clemson wasn't in the ACC title game. Oklahoma wasn't in the Big 12 title game. Heck, Alabama lost A&M, mm-hmm. uh, got outgamed by Florida. Close win over LSU. Should have lost Auburn. They needed a miracle comeback yeah. in four overtimes to win that one. So the powers weren't the powers last year. Everybody's back on the same playing field this year, and I think we see a return to the powers. Yeah, Tank, Tank Bigsby uh, stays in bounds. I don't think uh, Alabama wins that game. That you are of, correct. Yep. Um, so now let's get to the part where um, I know how I have to go about it. Now I want to ask you, the transfer portal is so active. What does that do for how you are crafting this on a daily basis? Because it can't, it's, it's no longer just about recruiting classes. That is a great question, Steve. And, and I'll take you through, it takes you through the process of the magazine and shows you how it changes. Uh, I do the magazine in a three write through process. The first write through is my postseason write through. And what I do is I read every article that was written about the team for the year. Now, naturally, during the season, I've watched all the games. Mm-hmm. Now, I read through every article, refresh myself of what happened, all the ebbs and flows of each position. Then I write each position on the team. And after I did that in the first write through process, I had USC middle of the pack in the Pac-12. Let's face it, they were a 4-8 team, uh, they had a new head coach, and they only had 11 returning starters. Then in the second write-through process is after we get the freshmen incorporated into it uh, and any transfers that are coming in, and they started moving up a little. The third is after I talk to the head coaches, and I do that after spring practice is over. Well, ironically, I talked to Lincoln Riley the day they signed Jordan Addison from yeah. Pitt, the Blitnikoff winner. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they had Caleb Williams, a quarterback, my number one QB out of high school, who, of course, thrived at Oklahoma in the second half of the year last year. Mario Williams, my number two wide receiver out of high school, who did well at Oklahoma last year. Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff winner, Travis Dye from Oregon, a 1,000-yard rusher, Austin Jones from Stanford, 
Defensively, they added about 11 or 12 transfers, including Shane Lee, who started 13 games as a freshman at Alabama. And when I talked to him about the offensive line, which is probably my main concern, he said he liked the top-end experience and didn't expect to inherit this much talent. So now, all of a sudden, in the third right through, seven months after we started this thing, I've got USC, my number one most improved team in the country, and I think they can get the double-digit wins. That wasn't the case five, ten years ago, Steve. I never had a team move up like that. Uh, you know, from the postseason right through all the way through the uh, the start of the season. But it can happen nowadays with that uh, transfer portal. The only other good news is the transfer portal closed May 1st. Yes. So we were able to capture everybody jumping out. We don't put the magazine to the press till June 8th. Yeah. So we captured a good portion of those moves. Just so everyone understands, USC has 53 roster changes from last year. Just so everybody knows, that's how extensive and how much work Phil has to put in on something like that, uh, which which is remarkable, Phil. It is we've only scratched the surface here, so it, but I appreciate everything you write, and I appreciate every time you come on this show. Thank you so much, and we will talk soon. I hope. Yeah, let's do another one before the football season starts. Let's Steve. do it. I always enjoy our conversations. We don't talk enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Let's do it. We'll make that happen. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Thanks for having me on, Steve. Phil Steele. Coming up, we'll take a look at some of the media deals. Still waiting on the Big Ten deal. Lot to negotiate there. Tony Knopp will join us in the next half hour. And then Neil Kulong at 4.06 today. Bob Lombardi from the PIAA Final Half Hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. The man that when we set this up a couple of weeks ago, the topics were going to be different compared to what we're about to talk about. Tony Knopp, welcome back, my friend. I wonder what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Over the last Two years, you have slipped in from time to time that USC was dramatically unhappy with the Pac-12 and even floated the idea, not of the Big Ten, right? I mean, be fair, but even independence. But, yep. they, but they had mm-hmm. to get out. What, yep. what were the elements that drove USC to make the phone call? Well... Um, I'm going to give the long story so the listeners will understand what happened because it actually involves a Big Ten GM. 
a recent Big Ten GM. Um, when the Pac-12 negotiated their first TV deal, Bill Moose was the AD at Washington State. He was the splashy hire for Washington State who had come out of retirement. He was originally the AD at Oregon who brought Oregon to prominence. Now, you could argue, and I'm not going to pull punches here, that Bill was just in the right place at the right time because he had Mike Bellotti as a coach and he had Phil Knight writing big checks. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill is a very old-school guy, does not believe in analytics or any of that stuff. When they negotiated the deal, Bill was Bill was very vocal that USC and UCLA should share all the revenue equally with the rest of the schools. Now, USC and UCLA pointed to what we talk about a lot, the English Premier League. They said, no, the most... Um, the most, the most common example pointed to is that where the top five clubs get a lion's share of the revenue because the belief was the healthier they are, the better they do, the more money there will be for everybody else. And I, now, will, and I will slip in that this has been the Texas deal with the Big 12 for a long time. So we'll go from there. Exactly. Um, so what happened was the, the L.A. teams were furious about this because – once they started sharing the revenue, because back then the revenue split wasn't as exaggerated as it is now. Now it's the low $30 million for Pac-12 schools, low $50 million for Big Ten schools. They're saying that the Big Ten schools could get up to 80 to $100 million a year in the new TV deal coming up. Now, what happened after that infuriated the L.A. schools even more. So Bill Moose takes the money, builds a new stadium, and hires Mike Leach. Right? Two things that Washington State cannot afford but they're only affording it on the backs in the eyes of USC of USC. Meanwhile, across town, UCLA is going way underwater. They are running a huge deficit on their athletic department. Nobody's going to games at the Rose bowl and uh, they can't keep up with what's happening. Right? So a couple of dominoes fell that led to this phone call happening. The NCAA cracks down on USC and USC is saying, look, maybe we don't need the NCAA. Maybe we align with this belief that the SEC and that they can have that one day we don't need the NCAA anymore. We're just going to create a Super League. And that's going to be driven by the college football playoff. So they essentially crack down on SC. SC can't get out of its own way for 10 years. They suck. Meanwhile, UCLA is trying to find a lifeboat, and they can't find one. The Pac-12 doesn't take the deal with ESPN, which might have helped UCLA out. But then the Under Armour thing occurs. Right. So for the listeners who don't know what's happening, Under Armour... 280 million. Right. And Under Armour just walks, says, we're not going to pay it. We're going to kill the deal. We have an out clause in it. Let's all see you in court. UCLA is in dire straits at this point. They are underwater on athletics to the point that they might have to follow the route that Stanford took two years ago when they cut 11 sports. Right now, Stanford went back and said, maybe we're not going to cut the 11 sports. They got some endowment money. They got some people to, to pay for it. But that's what led to the phone call happening. Right. It hasn't just been a short term like, you know, we're reading all today about how six more Pac-12 schools are trying to call the Big 12 and Kevin Warren's phone's been ringing off the hook. And that's all kind of reactive stuff by other schools. Right. USC and UCLA were forced into this position by incompetent leadership at the Pac-12 level, by the NCAA cracking down on USC, and by 
selfish idiocy by Bill Moose, who you guys will know him because he left Washington State and went to Nebraska, right. and that football program didn't necessarily flourish under him. So this is what's led to this. We've been saying for a long time that USC was going to do something, right? I didn't think it was going to be the Big Ten, but it makes total sense if that's what the Big Ten's going to do. In fact, you floated the idea of independence. Yeah, uh, and, multiple times. So now what has happened with the Big Ten is this. Uh, well, let me take it back one step. Fox is located in Los Angeles. What was their role in the phone calls? So all of this is being driven by Fox and ESPN. And you've noted this a lot as to people are talking about some crazy ideas of who's going to go where. Fox is in the room with the Big Ten, right? They negotiate on the side of the table as the Big Ten. And they're interested in drawing, as we've talked about this, drawing as much and as many eyeballs to their football product as is possible. Now, where they're kind of locked out is at the ACC because they have the grants rights there until 2036. Mm -hmm. So Clemson, Miami, and those schools are stuck right now. So Fox and ESPN are essentially looking at creating two Super Leagues, which there's, again, there's a template for this. This is what happened with English soccer. Yes. Right? Everybody talks about, oh, there was no... You know, the Pac-12 has been around for so long and there's tradition in this, that, and the other thing. There's 100 years of transition in English, of tradition in English soccer until 1994 when Sky Sports came in and played the Fox role, waved a bunch of money in front of everybody and changed the world, right? That's exactly what's happening here, except for what's interesting is in England, one network won out. Yes. And here, there's two networks winning out with two different leagues. The For Fox... The Big Ten has now gone from Lincoln to Philadelphia. It now goes from New York to Los Angeles. Los Angeles. What mm -hmm. kind of difference does that make in how Fox approaches this? And especially, do does the Big Ten, quote, now need ESPN? Well, the question is subs, right? It's If you look at what's happening with subscriber media, people are losing subs all over the place except for live sports. Yes. Right? This is the exact argument we just made about USC and UCLA with Washington State. Right? Fox is looking at this and saying, USC and UCLA, the Big Ten, is, are the ones driving revenue for us. They are the ones keeping subs for ESPN and ABC on the SEC side, and they're the ones keeping subs for Fox on the Big Ten side. So it just turns out that you had these, you had these assets that were horribly undervalued right? It's, they're looking at this and saying, you know, there was an article a couple of years ago that talked about LeBron James and how they were paying him, I forget what, like $35 million at the time, but he was really worth 85, right? It's just yeah. that, you know, the things in place wouldn't allow him to make that money. I think what they're starting to realize is that, you know, the haves and the have-nots are, are, are broader separation than we thought. And you need to have a setup where the haves and the have-nots share revenue, but it's very clear that the haves aren't floating the have-nots to the point where Bill Moose is hiring Mike Leach for $8 million a year and building a stadium in a place where they can't afford it, right? right? And that's what's happened in English soccer. I keep pointing to English soccer because I think that's the most similar parallel to what's happened here when it comes to TV money and the like. And what happened there is you have a breakaway league, which is essentially what the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be, and that breakaway league is making all of the money, and then you have leagues below it that there's a door open for them, and 
you have to try to find a way to build that out with a bowl system or whatever else. What has been the reaction in your neck of the woods in Los Angeles to this happening? You know, it's, it's interesting because there's so much arrogance. (laughs) I hate to say it because I'm a USC grad, but there's so much arrogance on the USC front, especially in the fan base that they're kind of like, you know, we feel special and we love it. There has been almost no pushback on, oh, we're going to lose our traditional rivalries with, you know, Cal and Stanford and whatever else. They're looking forward to the whiteout game. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> hey, we get to have a whiteout game. Yeah. We want to go do this. Right. right. We don't care about about that. So it's that that's been the feedback. UCLA is in dire straits right now. I mean, yeah. if you read what the AD has been talking about, he's talking about the Olympic sports. He's saying, hey, we're literally using this money so that we can keep the Olympic sports alive. Well, they so lost, we can go win national championship number 120, right? right? They, they because lo- they win a bunch of them. They lost $62 million in the pandemic. That, oh, that's man. the other element, too. Right. Yeah. And so the most interesting about all of this and all the politics that are behind it is that Cal and UCLA were separated, and it was allowed by the Board of Chancellors. Right. And what's really interesting right now is the person in charge of the Pac-12 is UW's president, newly appointed. Yes, so right. the conversation is that UW and Oregon are going to be the next most likely to go somewhere. But talk about a conflict of interest. Like, she's responsible for keeping the schools together. And, and what everybody's looking at right now is saying, okay, well, you have two Bay Area schools who just really aren't that um, committed to sports. They have tremendous traditions behind it, but Stanford's already started cutting some of their sports. Their new stadium, they cut the, um, when they refurbished Stanford Stadium, they cut the attendance by half. Mm-hmm. It only fits 38,000 people now as opposed to 80,000 back when it hosted the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, theoretically, people are saying we, it might be the end of, of college sports in the Bay Area. Like, Stanford account mm-hmm. might just say, we don't want to do it anymore. We don't care. Right. Um, so it, it's really dire straits for the Pac 12. And, you know, we knew that. USC was going to do something. The assumption was UCLA would probably go with them because of basketball, but nobody knows what's happening going forward with the rest of these schools. Maryland, Rutgers, and Nebraska, when they entered, had to go into a seven-year integration when it came to getting a full share. Now, Rutgers has borrowed so much money along the way from the Big Ten that their full integration actually does not happen until 2027. 27, yeah. That's always been my argument. If I were sitting there and I'm Mike Bone, I'm sitting there saying, you're telling me Rutgers is getting two and a half times the TV money USC is? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you have any information at all that when this TV deal is brokered, would USC and UCLA be immediately full- Fully vested. So I had a chance to catch up with Mike multiple times. Uh, I actually watched the NFC Championship game with Mike. Like we were in a suite together and talked for two hours. Right. Um, Mike has a very different approach to USC than anybody that's been here in the last 20 years. Mike is a full believer that they are at that level of blue blood and they can make demands of that level. Now, keep in mind, this was prior to him hiring. Or no, I'm sorry. It was right after he hired Lincoln Riley. Right. I cannot imagine that he's going to take a backseat to anybody, given the way that I've heard him speak, given what he's talked about in bringing USC's athletic department to excellence and breaking away and breaking the chains of tradition, 
right? Mike was very open with me that, you know, they were looking at, uh, I forget which one, a former basketball player that's a Trojan great for a coaching gig, and he just came right out and said, we don't do that at USC anymore. Mm. That person is not qualified to win, right? We are here to win championships. And we haven't had that kind of person at USC in a while. I would be shocked if Carol Fulton and Mike, Bull, and Mike Bone um, don't have a faster road to equality. Yeah. I don't think it'll be it'll be that fast. I mean, Nebraska, you know, when Nebraska made the move, we're in a better position than, you know, maybe Nebraska's in now. But I would be shocked if they took, a, if they took that long. Let me t- put it to you this way, Tony. Because the Big Ten's negotiating the contract now, and there'll be one year, obviously, where USC and UCLA are not in it. Uh, they're getting, they're going to get, everybody's going to get gigantic slices of pie from the addition because they're there. To me, that that is justification for them being a full partner right away. That's me. Yeah, right. I think so. I think, but I think you know where the where the leverage is. You would have to assume that USC is not stupid, and they probably did talk to the SEC, right? There's, right. there's no way this was a singular negotiating point, right? right? Um, I don't believe that that's something that they would do. Now, that said, USC is not in the strongest spot, right? I mean, you're in a situation where you're making $31, $32 million a year. You have to stick around, and... The Pac-12 is going to try to negotiate their TV deal now. I feel so bad for George Kleokov. I mean, yeah. talk about yeah. talk about. I mean, there's going to be case studies written about how incompetent Larry Scott was. Yes, and I think the only thing that's more incompetent, as you've pointed out correctly, is the grants rights with the ACC. Yes, I think you, if you are Miami, Clemson, and those teams right now, you are terrified of yeah. the future yeah. and you know we've been reading a lot of legal uh, briefs on that grants right and there's no way out of it it's, it's people have been it, looking for a way to break it i've read just like you i've read a lot about it and in reading it it's almost ironclad uh yeah. and that's there's no way out so what of the rose bowl now, now i'm going to start with this i think the rose bowl is a great site for the big 10 championship game i'll start with mm-hmm. that with that part Absolutely. with that part of it uh and i think it, it brings a level of excitement by going there. With all due respect to Indianapolis, which is great at holding championships. I love that town. Yeah. I, indeed. Great I mean, town. Great town. So well set up. I mean, everything. Um, but I see the Rose Bowl in that spot. Now, what about the Rose Bowl game itself? Because, boy, you know how I feel about it. I mean, yeah. two of the greatest experiences of my life have been sitting in a booth and broadcasting a game there and looking around saying, I can't believe I'm here. So there are theories on this from people who know. Um, here is the theory currently. The theory is that they are working toward an end game, which is different than what we will see in the short run. And that end game is actually a Big Ten playoff. So if you do theoretically end up at 18 to 24 schools, it's going to be impossible to have everybody play a level schedule through the year, right? Mm -hmm. The theory is that the big dollars are in a couple of non-conference games early in the season, you know, crossover games. Mm -hmm. Then you have a shortened schedule in conference with multiple divisions, and you actually have four teams make a Big Ten playoff. And then there's a Big Ten championship game. That's 
one of the paths that they're looking at. The other path they're looking at is since there's going to be the expanded playoff, there's going to be a rotating Big Ten championship game. And the hope is that the extended playoff will roll into the Rose Bowl as often as possible. Okay. That's what I've been told. Okay. Uh, I have to ask you about Apple. Apple got in, and this is going to connect to the Big Ten. Yep. Apple put together its long-term deal, what, 10 years with MLS. Uh, and it was the interesting part was I, if I were MLS, I'd have had it run through 26 and then parlayed the World Cup being in this know. country yeah. for that. That's yeah. just me. I mean, yeah. Right? But Apple now suddenly wants to rejoin the fray on the Big Ten. What can mm-hmm. what can a a bidding war of Amazon and Apple mean to rights for the Big Ten based on what has just happened? History doesn't repeat itself, but people do, right? In 1994, there were two major players bidding on English Premier League rights. Now. I know everybody's rolling their eyes saying, stop talking about the Premier League. But I'm going to talk about the Premier League because I think that's what matters no, here with Apple, right? It, 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 the it, two it, bidders, but the two, of them, the two of them are parallels. You have to bring it up. Yeah. So the two bidders at the time, they were so afraid of having TV rights that for the first three years of the Premier League, they wouldn't show the first half of the games, right? Because they were afraid that it was going to eat away ticket and concession dollars. But what was interesting about it is one of the bidders was a satellite company, which didn't have anywhere near the coverage that B-SkyB did, which at the time was just Sky Sports. They didn't turn into B-SkyB until a few years later. But they saw the opportunity of where this was going to be in three to five years, and therefore they bid the number up so much higher than the five clubs ever believed it was going to be. I don't know the exact number. I think like they were expecting 200 million pounds that ended up at 450 million pounds, right? Apple is smart. Apple has more money than any company in the world. Apple is looking at playing the long game here, as proven by them doing a 10-year deal with MLS. Apple going into a bidding war on this with Amazon, creating essentially a whole new category on top of what Fox and ESPN are doing, who knows what the number is, right? Like sometimes we see these numbers and we think $400 million for, you know, college football or $400 million for, you know, British soccer rights is absurd. And now you look at what the number is, you say, hey, that was a bargain. It's the same thing everybody says when Instagram got bought by a billion dollars. Everybody thought, you know, that's that's a bounty. It was a bargain. Same thing when Google bought YouTube, right? There's precedence for a lot of these things. No question, Tony, and we're in interesting times. We will have you back, obviously. Once this thing is all settled, and it should be actually in a relatively short period of time, Neil Kulon coming up in the next half hour. Talk about Deshaun Watson and also about the Steelers quarterback situation here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay.